Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? No, right? It's Merry I got my Christmas tree up here with me today. If you're not in the Christmas spirit, bah humbug to you, but we're going to try to cheer you up before you leave. We're glad that you're here, and we're just thankful that uh, you're here in this season, this December month. There's a lot going on. We've already had a great month this, uh, thus far. Uh, the first Sunday of the month was December the 1st. That was actually the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Pastor Matt Popham, our Connections Pastor, preached a great message on Christ as the Sure Foundation. So I encourage you to go back and listen to that on the podcast. Last weekend, our kids, Candy Cane Lane, it was awesome on Saturday and on Sunday. And uh, if you weren't here, you missed out, but you were one of the few that probably wasn't here because we had record attendance, just an incredible crowd for, for last weekend. And so it was awesome. Uh, and so that was great. And I love seeing our kids uh, on that weekend just to, to share the Christmas story, the gospel message through that uh, really fun uh, program production there. And that was a lot of fun. And I was excited to see our kids because we are a multi-generational church. So I was excited to see our kids and I was excited to see, you know, grandparents or grandparent age folks that were here cheering them on. And even those that don't have kids were here and celebrating and worshiping with us. And I'm thankful to be a part of a multi-generational church. I read this last week that uh, the next generation is the most important generation. I got to be honest, when I read it, I thought, "Whoa, that's a little bit jarring because what about my generation or other generations? And so when you hear that, maybe you feel the same way. But the idea that we have to constantly be looking toward the future We've got to constantly keep our eye toward tomorrow. And so the next generation is the most important generation to make sure that your family continues and the things of our, of our culture and the things that we want to pass on are actually passed on to the next generation. So I'm thankful to be a part of a church uh, where, where we are multi-generational, but we always have our eye towards equipping the next generation. So I'm thankful for you who were here last week to celebrate our kids. And uh, you heard already Pastor Trevor was talking about it, but we want you here next weekend. Uh, so we've made a, a Friday night, two services there as a part of a five identical service weekend. So if you're headed out of town, we'd love for you to come worship with us on Friday night. Uh, all five services all weekend long. We're going to have some songs, some Christmas carols, a message. We'll have a lot of fun together. The kids will have a great experience. We'll have candlelight. It's going to be great. We want you here. But we do want you to reserve tickets for the service that you want to attend. We believe that at least several of those five will be over capacity. Uh, and so we're trying to plan for that. If you look around this room at this time, you recognize that wouldn't take that many more people to fill up this room. And so we want you to go online. You can even do that now. I won't judge you. Other people on your row will judge you. Take your phone out. Go to cantonchurch.com. Click on the events tab and maybe reserve your tickets for the service of those five that you want to attend. We'd love to have you here next weekend. Uh, but we've been talking, and you heard Pastor Trevor say it, we've been talking for several months about this idea of the transition from Canton Church to Generations Church. Just about every time somebody takes the stage, they'll say something like, Welcome to Canton Church, soon to be Generations Church. And if you've been here most of the weeks, some of the weeks, you probably think, man, this is like the ending of a ball game. It is just never going to get here, right? You tell your wife, like, oh, hold on, just it's almost over. There's, there's one minute left. And 45 minutes later, it's almost done. Can I get an amen from any of the wives in the room? Nobody. Two of you, three of you. Okay, so, but here's the deal. 
uh, we are ready to make that transition. We're ready to, to fully move from Canton Church into Generations Church. And so we will conclude 2019 as Canton Church over the next two weekends, the 20th and 22nd with five services, on the 29th with two services. And then when you come back here on January the 5th, the first Sunday of 2020, you will walk into Generations Church. And we're excited about that. Uh, we believe God has, has ordered our steps to this place. It's not a, a major shift from the standpoint of it's our heart. It always has been because we exist because generations matter. Uh, but it is a, a transition, and so we'll make that shift. You don't want to miss January 5th. We want you to be here. Actually, just don't miss any service. Come to all five next weekend, the two on the 29th. No, just get here. Be a part of these services. It's going to be a great, great time together as we make that switch from Canton Church to Generations Church. I'm really excited today to kick off kind of a two-part series leading us to Christmas called A Generation's Christmas. And to do so, I want us to look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say that, some of you are like, oh my gosh, I am going to sleep right now. If you need some good nighttime reading, if you're struggling to go to sleep, you have two options in Scripture, really. It's the beginning of Matthew with the begots, the begats, right? You just start reading, he begat he, he begat he, he begat, you know, and you start reading that, and you're like, your eyes get heavy. Or you can read the law of Leviticus. Either of those two puts you right to sleep, as good as Michael, right? But... We don't want to look at it today as it relates to all of the names and all of the stories. We, we could. I've done that before. And we're actually going to kind of, kind of next week cherry pick one or two of those as a part of a larger conversation that we're going to have together as a part of our Christmas services. But today I want to look at the, the genealogy, the family tree of Jesus in a little broader context. You know, we have primarily four places that we read about the story of Jesus in the Bible. Now, Jesus is all throughout the Bible. From the Old Testament prophecies that foretell about him coming and who he is and who he would be, and even the stories of, of Genesis where the creation story includes Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. We have Jesus in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, in the latter part of the New Testament, we have the, the early church, the epistles, the letters of those early saints who are helping talk about the fruit of Jesus' ministry and life on the earth as the early church is being established. But right sandwiched in between those letters of the New Testament and those prophecies of the Old Testament, and the stories of the Old Testament saints, we have those four gospel accounts. The four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when we think about those four Gospels, we see that this is the greatest saturation of the stories of Jesus' time when he was walking on the earth. And so as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see several overlapping stories. We see a number of stories that exist in all four of those Gospels. We see some stories that exist in three. We see some stories that are isolated to one of the Gospel accounts. It's kind of like if you saw, you know, if you had a couple of you standing uh, at different places on the road at an intersection and you saw an accident or something or you saw something take place and you got all of these different eyewitness accounts. You got all these collection of stories. Everybody sees it through their own lens, through their own perspective, and as they're collecting the stories, as they're collecting the scriptures that we now have as we read, we also understand that context is important because each of the gospels was written at a different time to a different group of people. All of scripture could be said that way. 
When we have uh, really 40 or 50, between 40 and 50 writers that are collecting the, the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament over really a period of more than a thousand years that all of these stories are coming together, we believe they're God-inspired, God-breathed as he, as he impressed it upon the hearts of men that they would write these stories down, write these truths down so that the, the, the modern day in that time and our modern day now, we could read these stories, understand these truths, and then apply them to our lives. And so when we have these four Gospels, it's important to understand the context of each Gospel. It's not just four identical stories about Jesus' life. I'll give you a couple of examples. The, the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic Gospels. Those three Gospels have a lot more in common than John does. So the three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are, are referenced a lot of times together in that, in that pairing of the three because you see a lot of the same stories overlapping. You see a lot of the same details in some of those stories. Now, there's still some, some separate you know, instances within those Gospels that tell us different perspectives about Jesus and different stories that help us to understand him a little bit more. But we also understand that the book of Mark was written first. The book of Mark is the oldest of the four Gospels. Now, many scholars believe that the book of Mark is the eyewitness account of Simon Peter, one of the disciples. And, and you, you might think that because as you read through the book of Mark, you see a number of stories that are not present in some of the other Gospels, or the perspective is a little different than the other Gospels, that talk about Peter's interactions with Jesus, Peter's family's interaction with faith. And so those are not present in some of the other Gospels. So a lot of scholars believe that the book of Mark is the eyewitness account of Simon Peter. Others do not, and it's been refuted, and, and, and so you have a lot of debate there. That's not as important as recognizing that for sure, because of the, the transcripts, the, the, the origin that we have, that the book of Mark is older than the other Gospels. And then we see that Matthew and Luke was influenced by the book of Mark as they were compiled. And so Matthew and Luke have a lot of the, the inferences of Mark in the writings there as well. John is completely different. And when we read through John, we recognize that it's different, Mark being the same in this regard, that it does not have a genealogy story. Now, it kind of does. John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. And so when we're reading through this, we see that the capital W here references the fact that we're talking about Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and, the, and Jesus was God, and he, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. So all the way back to the beginning of the story, we recognize that Jesus was present. So the genealogy that exists in John traces him directly to God. That's important. Because when you read through John, which remember is written a little differently than the synoptic gospels, you read through the passion stories of the end of the book of John that relate to him being a savior king. He was the blood sacrifice that was necessary for the atonement, the remission, the payment of sins that you and I had committed. And that's important. So from the very beginning, John wanted the audience to know that if he was going to be the sacrifice to atone for the sins of all mankind, that there is a direct connection to the judge. There's a direct connection to God, the Father. The book of Mark also does not have a genealogy or a family tree of any kind. Actually, Mark is the one that makes no trace back to it, at least in some type of, of structured form. The book of Mark begins with the baptism of Jesus Christ. So this is kind of the origins of his public ministry. And his baptism then moves into his public ministry, and we see him begin to do ministry in that way. But Matthew and Luke stand alone between these four, or stand together, I guess, between these four, because there are 
genealogies. There are family tree stories that are collected there in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke. In fact, the book of Matthew begins the the very first words of the New Testament saying this. This is verse 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And I'm not going to continue, but I could. I could keep reading for 16 more verses as we just get name after name after name after name. There are some of those names that you know. Some of those names are stories of the Old Testament that you would be familiar with. We've talked about them. You've read about them in Scripture. They're they're famous names of Scripture, perhaps. Others of those names are not names that you would know unless you've kind of gotten down into those Old Testament narratives, those Old Testament Stories, And so you can read through all of those 16 verses. This is how it ends in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. It says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So we go all the way from Father Abraham all the way to Jesus, the Messiah, in the book of Matthew. Luke takes a little different approach Look at this in Luke chapter 3. Now, around the Christmas holidays, many of us will read Luke chapter 2 and the Christmas story there. But if you were to continue reading into Luke chapter 3, this is what it says beginning in verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. Now, I love this part of this genealogy story because Luke, just like Mark, uses the baptism event. But where Mark takes baptism as the the beginning of his public ministry and then moves into that ministry story, Luke wants to give us the backstory. He's a doctor. Luke is a physician. And so Luke is trying to help us to understand family history. You ever been to the doctor and they want to know your family history? I had a test this last week, and when I was there, they were asking me all kinds of questions. Many of them I couldn't really answer. I don't know the last time my dad had a cold. I'm not really sure. I just know I don't feel great, right? And so we go to doctors, and they want to tell us, or they want us to tell them our family history. This is what Luke is kind of driving at in Luke chapter 3. He's a physician, and so he wants us to know family history. There are some differences here between Matthew and Luke that are important when we understand context. But I love this line that Luke has. He said, he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. Now, here's what you need to know about us as a church. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe that the stories collected in the Gospels and these stories that lay out for us the Christmas story is that Mary supernaturally conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we see these accounts that are taking place here, Matthew and Luke specifically, each of them referenced Joseph. And so in both of these instances, these accounts are not completely accurate. Now, I'm not saying that there's an error in the Bible. Please don't write me an email. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there is a purpose. But as the genealogies are laid out, it's interesting to me that they both include Joseph who has no blood connection to Jesus. Now, why would they do that? Well, again, think about who's writing and why they're writing. Matthew was writing to a group of Jews. Now, in the Jewish culture, the important thing as it related to family history was who is your father. 
all of Jewish culture centered around pointing through the family tree of the father and then the oldest son and the father and the oldest son. And so when Matthew's laying out this genealogy, he's laying out this family tree, it was important for him to collect and to record for his Jewish readers who the father of Jesus was. He needed them to know, according to verse 16, that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Even though there's no blood connection, Matthew had to record who Joseph was in relation to Jesus. And what we see right here is that primarily that relationship was just through the fact that Joseph was married to Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus. It does not say that Joseph was the father. And you go, where are you going with this? I'll come back to that. What was Luke doing? Luke was just giving us, because he didn't have to give us any of the Jewish custom, any of the father stuff. He's just giving us the story. He's just giving us the biographical information. He just wants us to know who are the characters in this story of Jesus. And so what we've already read, what he said was, uh, Joseph was thought to be the father of Jesus. Just, just think about it. In, in modern day, we have medicine, and we have social media, and we have 24-hour news, and all this kind of stuff. So information is easily accessible. You can, you can do all kinds of family tree searches, and, and you, can, you can send off to find out who you're related to, and who those people were, and who, who they're related to, and where they're from. But in that day and age, they wouldn't have had all of that. And so when people saw this family unit of Joseph and Mary and Jesus, what do they assume? They assume father, mother, child. And so what Luke is doing is helping us to understand that the perception was that Joseph was the father of Jesus. But remember, for us, we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that Mary was supernaturally, supernaturally uh, embedded with with Christ and, and imparted this amazing thing. And so what we understand about Scripture is that Joseph really played no role in the story of Jesus on the earth. And so Matthew lays it out one way for the Jews. Luke lays it out another way for those who would be reading his story. Mark really doesn't make a reference to it. John points us straight to Jesus, back to Father God. So who is Joseph? Who's Joseph? Joseph's the carpenter. Joseph's the father guy, stepdad. He's the guy who continued to stay in relationship with Mary even when she told him a story that seems unthinkable. Well, this is what it says about Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I love the line 
the beginning of the passage that says Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly. He had in mind. Who could blame him? In that day, in the culture of that day, being engaged to be married was equal to being married. You had already committed yourself to spend your life together. Yes, there was a wedding, a wedding feast, really. There was a celebration of the joining of the families together. But ultimately, once you were asked to be married, you were as good as married. And so any unfaithfulness, even during that engagement period, would have been seen as unfaithfulness. It would have been seen as Mary being unfaithful to Joseph, her husband, to be. Imagine that conversation. We glaze over it because we're so familiar with the Christmas story. But imagine that conversation when Mary's like sick one morning. I'm assuming they had morning sickness back then. I don't know, right? Or she says, Joseph, will you go get me some crushed ice and some pickles with peanut butter or whatever it was that they ate back then? I don't know. I'm not sure, right? We went to Zaxby's because we found out that Zaxby's would give you an entire to-go bag of their crushed ice for a dollar through their drive-thru. You don't have to be pregnant to get that. Just saying. And so one day, Mary says to Joseph, hey, I'm a little queasy. Hey, I'm, you know, I need to get some new pants because my pants don't fit anymore. He's like, yeah, I noticed. Because, you know, he's dumb. He's young, naive. He doesn't know what to say. Yeah, I noticed you were gaining weight. I'm not really sure what that's about. And she says, no, I need to tell you something. I'm pregnant. He's like, what? She's like, no, 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 it's totally fine. This baby in my womb was conceived through the Holy Spirit. What? What? Joseph's like, I got to think about this. I need to get away for a minute. What, what, are you, what are you saying to me? I know it's not mine. You're telling me just to trust that God did this to you? I've never heard of that. Nobody in my family has ever had this happen to them. I, I don't even know how this takes place. Like, I, I think I know how this all works, and that's not in what my dad taught me. I don't understand. So he goes home. He thinks about it. Seems like he's a good man of character. Because of her unfaithfulness, he could have had her thrown into prison. He could have requested of the city leaders that she be stoned to death. But that's not what we here that he chooses to do. He just has in mind to divorce her quietly. And then the angel appears to him in a dream and says, listen, I know this is so hard for you to believe. I know it's crazy. It's unthinkable what she's telling you, but you got to trust her. It's true. She, she conceived this child through the power of the Holy Spirit. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us. Heaven come to earth. You will name him Jesus, for he will save his people. And Joseph wakes up. And even though he had it in his mind to divorce her quietly, he decides to obey. And it says he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. There was a switch in his behavior. There was a change in what he thought he should do and what he knew God wanted him to do. And there was a shift. Guess what? You and I have that same opportunity today. How many times a day do we think we know what we should do? 
And yet there are those moments when we come to the crossroads and we recognize that what we think we should do is not the same as what God says we should do. There is a word that helps us to understand what Joseph did and what we are called to do, and that word is obedience. Obedience. Even in the face of trying to make sense of all of it, obedience. When you know what God wants you to do, you obey. And here's the truth. Obedience changes family trees. It does. It does. Obedience changes family trees. Because if Joseph would have divorced her quietly as he had already committed in his mind, surely in the sovereignty of God, the story would have played out another way. But through Joseph's obedience, all of the names that we've already read became a part of the genealogy, the story of Jesus through Mary, through Joseph, to Jesus. And then the names that came after Jesus, they're not recorded in these gospel accounts. They'll be recorded in another book. It's your name and my name. When through faith in Jesus Christ, we accept the free gift of salvation and we become joint heirs with Jesus, the children, the sons and the daughters of God. Obedience changes family trees. And here's what I know. You can't change the stories of those who came before you, but you can change the stories of those who are coming after you. You and I cannot change the stories of those who came before us in our family tree. Those things are already kind of set. They were who they were. They did what they did. But your obedience and mine can change the stories of those who come after us. Because I don't know your family. I mean, maybe I've met some of them when they come to visit church with you. Maybe you've introduced me to them at an event or a service in the lobby. Maybe you've said, hey, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my mom, this is my brother-in-law, this is my... Maybe. But our church is of the size now that I don't know many of the extended family members. Some of you haven't attended here long enough for me to even really know you well. And so I don't know what your family tree looks like. I don't know who you're ashamed to tell people you're related to. I don't know who's ashamed to tell people you're related to them. You seem nice to me. I don't know. But here's what I know. Obedience has the power to change family trees. Because when your children or your grandchildren look back, they, they won't think like you do, where you can't help who your dad was. You, you can't change what kind of decisions your grandparents made. There, there's nothing you can do with what people think when they find out who you belong to. But when your children and your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews, when they think about you because of your obedience, they're going to think about that you were the one who stood up for what was right. They're going to think about that you're the one who stopped the pattern of divorce in your family. They're going to think about the, you're the one who got help and refused to allow drugs or alcohol to define you. You're the one who prioritized family. You're the one who took a stand and you obeyed God no matter the circumstances. In a lot of circles throughout my life, I've, I've heard this phrase, generational curses. Whatever you think that means, whatever you define that to be, however it's been applied to your family or families around you, here's what I would say to you. 
you can change some generational curses by making some generational choices. You can't change where you come from. You can't change who you belong to. But you can definitely change what comes after you in the genealogy. You can change through your own obedience and through your own decisions what people think and what people believe and the faith that they possess because you possessed it and you passed it on. And you said, listen, I know. I know what my family does. I know what the pattern of behavior is. And yet, today, I'm going to take a stand. And it stops with me. And something new starts with me. And as much as it depends on me, I'm going to fight for what's right. I'm going to obey no matter what. My kids won't have to be ashamed of what we were. My grandchildren won't have to fight the battles that I had to fight because we're going to change some generational curses by making some generational choices. You can't change the stories of those who came before, but you can definitely change the stories of those who are coming after you. What a great way to celebrate Christmas. Looking at the story of Jesus Christ, that when we, through faith in Jesus, become a part of the family of God, we're grafted into the family of God. We say, I want my family to reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. I don't have it all right. I don't have it all figured out. But as much as it depends on me, all of that other stuff stops in my generation. And the next generation is the most important generation to me. That's what I believe about generational Christmases. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around. If you would say, Jeremy, for me, I'm not a part of the family of God. I, I, I'm not in relationship with him. I've never asked him to be my Lord and my Savior. And so I want to be a part of the family of God. I want him to forgive my sins and lead my life from this moment forward. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? We want to pray for you. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Now, nobody's looking around. Just a private moment between you and God. And just so I can know how to pray for you. If you would say, Jeremy, for me, there's some generational curses I want to break off by making some generational choices today. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand right where you're at? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? God, we love you today. We thank you for every person that's in this room. God, every person that may listen at some point in the future as they're driving in their car, running on a treadmill somewhere, listening to this podcast. God, we believe that supernaturally, you can intersect our lives, forgive us of our sins, and become our Lord. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're changing eternity for some folks right now. God, you're bringing them into the family of God. So, Lord, we celebrate with heaven for the decision that they've made today. Forgive their sins and be the Lord of their life. And, God, I pray now for every person that lifted their hand saying, I want to break off some generational curses. There's some patterns of behavior. There's some, some things that happen in my family, and I want them to stop now. So I'm going to make some choices, some generational choices today to chart a new course, to write a new story, to allow God to bring some healing and some freedom into my life and into my future for my children 
and my children's children. And God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.